This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. The Press Box is here to catch you up on the latest media stories. Hosted by Brian Curtis and David Shoemaker, these guys have the insight on the biggest stories you care about. Check out The Press Box on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome back to the 300th episode of the Stadio podcast. <laughs> Do you know what? That's really, I'm, I'm glad you remember because in <laughs> the midst of tonight's drama, I completely forgot. Well, I'm Moose Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hearn for the 300th time. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, how are you doing? Ah, oh, 300. 300. The little podcast that could. Well, talking of uh, the underrated team that could. No, hang on a minute. Wait, bask <laughs> a little more. Basque Musa. Hey, listen, thanks for agreeing to do this with me. It was very kind of you. Well, many moons ago. Well, likewise, man. Likewise, I mean, you know. Just, uh, to, just so everyone knows, if, if you didn't know already, we have told the origin story a couple of times, but Musa definitely didn't need to do study. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So uh, thanks, man. Anyway. My pleasure, man. It's been a joy. It's been a joy. Yeah, congratulations. Continues to be a joy. 300. Yes, likewise, man. It's big. Yeah. And uh, a special episode because of what we're going to talk about once we get past the admin. But um, uh, yeah. I mean, admin, right? His house will be up on Monday, probably next week. We're going to skip the weekend one. We're going to get Ian to talk about the uh, af- talk about stuff after the England game. Mm. Uh, Stadio will be Friday night, Saturday night. We're going to take Sunday night off, and I think if it all goes to plan, you and I will do Righty's house with Righty on Monday. So it's yeah. kind of like a Stadio hybrid. And then we'll update you on the schedule for next week because it will slow down a little bit. Also, I would say that even if we're whizzing through these recaps straight away after the final group games, I think we'd pro- we'll probably, at the, towards the end of the tournament, give a bit of a debrief, a deeper, deep, a deeper debrief on, for example, like Germany. I think we need to talk about Germany a little bit. Yes, that's right. Yeah, It yeah. might take an hour, so we won't do it tonight, but we'll do it another time. But yeah. Um, theringer.com forward slash soccer as well go check that yeah. out and the Stadio Outros plays on Spotify all of the music we play on it 
out on each episode. The newest one is at the top. And that's it for the admin. So today yep. we're going to talk about the final games <laughs> in Group E. This podcast just be called Japan Got Down. And Group F. Wow. <laughs> Wow, that's a great podcast title. I mean, they just, wow. They brought it. Well, we'll talk about that after the break. We will. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Are we starting there? Because Groupie was. We have to, chaos, we, right? we have to, we have to. All right, let's start with Japan because Japan's result against Spain, 2-1. We say Group E was the group of chaos, but F ran close, but still, let's go with Group E. So, yeah, although yeah, Japan, I, 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 I'm, I'm interested to see if you publicly say on the podcast what you deemed Croatia and Belgium to be. I want the geriatrico. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> When, when you put Belgium's up, own <laughs> star player, Belgium's own star player says we're too old to win the cup, World the anyway, Cup. Let, yeah. Listen, we'll we'll talk about, the we'll talk about later. that one later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that I I liked that a lot. Well done, was it some of your <laughs> finest work? <laughs> Let's talk about Japan because Japan have had a kind of wild group phase. Shouts to Jonathan Fisher who hit just a bit before. So the first time they beat Germany and the first time they've beaten Spain. Mm. And they did it in the same group phase. Wow. And then they lost to Costa Rica for what I believe was the first time in the middle of that. Although, like we said, we, I think when we, after, the, after that game that they played pretty well, they had all the ball and just got kind of sucker punched, really. Absolutely, yeah. Just a disclaimer, by the way, very difficult to watch two important games at once to do a podcast straight away afterwards. Yes. I feel like I need another... Like, I mean, processing. Eyes. It's just because... It's what happened. Mm. It's the nature. And you know, watching, this, watching these games on two screens and going between them as I was, just mind blown, frankly. We saw, we saw 10 goals. Yeah. This eve- well, nine goals this evening in the two matches. Um, and not just nine goals, but the way the mood was changing. At one point, both Spain and Germany were out of the World Cup. I know. For three-minute period, which we'll come to in a moment, for three-minute period, Spain and Germany both out the World Cup. But let's begin again with Japan because this was an incredible performance for so many reasons, not just in the group stage, but tonight because the bravery, the bravery and the resilience to recover from that first half where at one point, 20 something minutes, about 20 minutes in, Spain had completed 220 passes and Japan had completed 30. It was a thrashing. At 20 minutes in, it was an absolute demonstration of the footballing arts. Mm. They were stretching them everywhere. Um, Japan couldn't get near them, couldn't press them. The one time they got near Busquets, they fouled him, which was almost a demonstration of just how good he was. And at one point I was thinking, how many players have actually cleanly tackled Busquets in their football careers? It's probably a Hall of Fame at this point, because who gets close? The man was walking around, no one could touch him. They'll do one of those like round tables when they've yeah, all retired. Round tables, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I'm back in my day, I tackled him cleanly. Oh my goodness, I faked him and I did this. You know, and Spain was spectacular for that first half hour. Yeah, can I just can I just mention something? Yeah, I know I wrote down a couple of things about this, and 
the Spain thing that I noticed was that I thought Japan pressed really well, actually. They pressed in numbers. Mm. They pressed with a lot of energy. And there was one moment when they pressed them really high and then they over, they outnumbered them, sorry, in the, in the kind of right centre-back position where Rodri mm. was. And it looked like they were in. It looked like they kind of pinned Spain in and they were about to win the ball back. It was very, very reminiscent of those peak pressing Guardiola Barcelona teams. Mm. Rodri does this little Cruyff turn throws two of the guys off and all of a sudden the pressure's gone. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Well, that's actually, it's funny you mentioned that pressing because that foreshadowed what would happen in the second half. Yeah. Because the thing about that pressing, there was actually a moment in the first half, it was a small moment where um, uh, Rodri helps the ball and the ball gets to him and he hits it on the half volley out to the right and it goes out to um, Williams, who they used quite well actually on the switch, I think in the Good first half. Good starting. It was, and also, I mean, he was, I thought he was quite impressive actually. I thought his decision making was really good. But that moment when Rodri was like playing it on, I thought to myself, oh, it's interesting. Like, I love how you move the ball on Spain, but you're taking, taking some risks back there. Mm. Like some risks. And actually that was the first half. It was half an hour in, all fine. But we saw in the second half, those gaps were closed. We saw the aggression Japan came with. And the problem with Spain was, Spain thought Japan were going to come out with more of the same. They did not bargain for the adjustments. Nagatomo going off, great player, but was not really on it. And they brought on, um, they brought on Doan in the second half um, in the wide position. And that had an immediate impact because then the hunting impacts just became a bit more intense. And Rodri wasn't caught crucially short, but his pass led to effectively the concession that, um, that Simone ended up conceding badly to. Mm. And the funny thing about this was, like Rodri, not the quickest. And all very well when Rodri's playing as a centre uh, centre back in a team which is ball dominant and everyone's out the pitch. But this reminded me in terms of the uncertainty I saw with Rodri. Do you remember the time they man-marked Rodri? That Jamie Vardy man-marked yeah. Rodri when, um, when, when Leicester just blew away Man City. It reminded me of that. Japan basically did the Jamie Vardy job on Rodri and it just absolutely throttled them. And the problem was, you see now why Jordi Alba starts games and not Baldi. Yeah. Gives that a little bit more control. Specifically in this just, tournament. I think, that's a, I think that's just a maturity and experience thing. I think yeah, it's not knocking him, it's just the way player. it is. Yeah. It's just, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. Alba's done and like seen and done it all, basically. Right, absolutely. He doesn't get caught like they get caught back there. It doesn't no. happen. No. Um, I mean, I mean they, yeah. we need to talk about the impact of Doan, like coming straight on, scoring yeah. straight away. Yeah. And then straight after the half time. A few minutes later, if this, was, if this was a classic game of football manager, it would have said a three minute double salvo. Coming right. up, one for the heads. But they kept on. It was so smart, Japan, because they kept the intensity up while Spain was still slightly rocking. Well, I mean, their second goal was a pure example of that intensity. Yeah. Um, Matoma absolutely going for a lost cause ball, cut it back. For How Tanaka good a Brighton player has been at the West World Cup? Oh my Brighton. God. Like, my God. I mean, you literally said this last night, but this goal, I know that um, some people are struggling to understand that football is spherical. And also just the laws of the game, and also whether it really did go out or not, while being shown conclusive evidence of it not being fully over the line. The merest part of the ball has to be in contact yeah. to be in. That's the that's the rule. I don't want to. I don't want to kind of like go after people, but some. I was. I'm in the UK and I was watching it on ITV, and the coverage of it afterwards was beyond wild. To be honest, mm. I can't. I can't really. I don't really understand it. Um. Yeah, it was weird, but anyway. It was a goal. It was a perfectly legitimate goal. Um, and 
but I think you you mentioned that that kind of um, intensity there, and I think that that was that goal was a like it was just that personified. Yeah, can the goal be personified? Well, yeah, it was because it was the Goal-ified? it was the it, it was the epitome of everything Japan's approach in that second half was Spain coming out the same pace that they went in mm. at the break, and you know. <laughs> Again, poor Murata being overshadowed. Like Murata was impressive in this half. Again, being overshadowed by events. But he is now, I think he's removed questions about his quality at this point. Um, he's a good enough forward to win a tournament with. The question is if Spain are going to put the pieces around him consistently for him to do that. Um, Ansu Fati arriving in this game maybe later than you know, I would have liked considering there's knockout tournament football to be played. The problem that Spain have is they've lost their aura now. Uh, yeah, the midfield control yeah. is there. The midfield control is there. I mean, I think if Spain had needed to win this game to go through or needed a point to go through, it's hard to say because even though Germany went, we'll talk about the Germany-Costa Rica game in a minute, but Germany were ahead and Spain, as it stood, were fine. Mm. So it's always really hard to tell in those ones if you need a result and whether you don't and how that changed things because Spain still had all of the ball and they were they were I mean I think Japan defended really really well they were at they times, did. like they were dropping into this really really compact really solid back five occasionally a sixth would slip in there as well and they just because Spain don't have that focal point as a nine or say like a someone like a Giroud or even a Fulcrook yeah I mean, Morata was off at that point. It just meant that most of the defending that Japan did was in front of them, but that was by design and not by fluke. And they deserve a huge amount of credit because I think that what, what they've shown through this group phase is it's like they have a load of switches in front of them. Right, at the moment, we're going to go intense press and we're going to hit teams high up the pitch. Click. Yeah. Or actually, we're going to turn that off and we're going to defend really, really deep at the moment and go counterattack. Click. Or actually, we're going to control the ball and just go hyper-technical, click. Like, they've actually demonstrate, demonstrated a super wide range of attributes. And I, to be honest, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm surprised, at the, I'm surprised at the range. I'm not surprised at how well they're doing it. It's very, sense. very, actually, 2016 Leicester style. Look really at this. Yeah. Pass yeah. completion stats. Um, Spain completed almost 1,000 passes at 91%. Almost 1,000. 968. Japan completed 153 passes at 67% possession. That is total Leicester because that is like you're hitting passes, high risk passes to open the gaps up. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Leicester had like routinely 65, 70%. No one could work it out until we actually saw them play. And you were like, oh, you've got supremely technical players high up the pitch who have to execute with the greatest possible efficiency. And they did it. They absolutely did it. And it's, it's incredible. Other teams in the tournament now watching this, have been, they'll be cackling. Because anybody can be got. This is the lesson of today's football. Anyone can be got. 18% possession, 1.27 XG to Spain's 1.12. Incredible. Incredible efficiency. I'm really happy for them. Obviously, there are a few groups where you're like, yeah, be gone. I'm not really bothered about you going. Mm. This group was another one where, obviously, we're disappointed for Germany to go out because we live there and we follow them closely. I don't think that Germany probably or this Germany performance through this group stage deserves the post-mortem that it will probably get. Mm. I think there are questions to be asked for sure. I think that also you need to caveat with the fact that it's the first tournament cycle of Hansi Flick. It's not in the best shape, the squad. 
we were talking to Ian about some stuff and I was saying that it almost felt for me like it was a tournament too soon because the, the real talent in that Germany squad, maybe bar Antonio Rudiger and a couple of people in the midfield, it's like Jamal Musiala, you know, or maybe Serge Gnabry, but Musiala is... Yeah, I think yeah. Musiala, we saw in this game specifically that Musiala is already trying to take charge of Germany games and he's kind of overtaken Kai Havertz as the guy who can change that game. Without question. And I think he's he's probably putting in the kind of, or he's he's grabbing the game in a way that I think people expected or wanted Kai Havertz to do, especially late Leverkusen era Kai Havertz. I think Müller will probably move on now. I don't think he'll be back for Germany. I assume not. But actually, the selection from this game wasn't too bad from Flick. Like, he made changes that worked. Kimmich started at right back, and I thought Germany were a bit better for it, actually. It just allows them to get the better midfielders in midfield. Right, yeah. Um, they're still a little bit ropey at the back. I saw Schweinsteiger said that Tony Rudiger is the only, like, elite defender. The rest are okay Bundesliga defenders, what which a I think is a little bit for, harsh. And what a tournament is for Rudiger, because, not being funny, yeah, Rudiger well, yeah. three years ago was People catching was hell from yeah. everyone. Cooked. Yeah, people. A lot of people were saying some really off-key stuff about Rudiger. Actually, we remember we seen it. We seen yeah, it. We do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Germany won the game. They they drew against Spain. They got unstuck against Japan, who who also did Spain. So <sighs> no real howlers. Like this, I don't think there's been a real howler from Germany. Even in the it, actually probably one of their best performances came in the Japan game. They just weren't yeah, ruthless yeah. enough. Yeah. So. We've seen yeah, good teams could easily this been, tournament. It's 2 0, it's good night. Gundogan hitting the post. Exactly. And it's not going to be a thing. It's not going to be a thing, but they created a really high quality of chance against Japan. Yeah. I'm just, I'm actually really glad that they didn't go out tonight based on the result tonight, yeah. in a way. You could argue, actually, the irony is Japan, Germany, the, <laughs> the team that took Japan the most seriously in this group in terms of the performance they produced yeah. and the intensity. Yeah. They're I, just unlucky with some I of the finishing. Yeah. Anyway. But yeah, Musiala. Amazing against tonight. He had, when he hit off the post in the second half with his right foot when he cut inside. Clean. It was just so good. And um, uh, a shout, and shout for Fulkrug again, who came on and I thought played really well. And really well. That save from Navas. So much like, oh, he was in the Bundesliga last season. He's 28 or whatever. It's like, you know, just let the guy be. Yeah, of course. Um, but yeah, that save that Navas made with his face. Unreal. Such a good save. Rolling back the years. Um, like I say, I, d I don't want to sound like I'm sitting on the fence here and I know that people need to be criticised when criticism is due, but I think that with Germany, I don't think they were ever quite as good as people thought they were going to be for this tournament. Maybe just because they're Germany, but also I don't, think they're gonna, I don't think they're quite as bad as some people will make them out to be in the aftermath. Every weakness that I fear Germany would have is the one that like, how do I say this? This World Cup has not presented that many surprises. Like people have either advanced or gone out in ways that you would expect. Like it was always the fear with Germany that goals, decisive finishing and key games would be the thing. Like in these small, small like margins, that was always the fear. And some could say it was a lack of a regular centre forward or whatever, but it, it's a thing that basically told in the end. Like Germany did not go out by much when all's said and done. And it's, we said this before in football, it's very easy to draw the wrong conclusions from, from like negative results. But yeah, very disappointing, obviously, for Germany to go out. And also the Thomas Muller thing, it's just such a shame because this is a man that started with 10 goals in two World Cups and doesn't look like scoring, being a volume goal scorer mm. again for them. 
Uh, I've just seen a quote from him, actually. He said, if this was my last game, it was a huge pleasure. I've done it with love. We experienced incredible moments together in every game. I tried to leave my heart on the pit. And I oh, think that's, that's the thing about Thomas Muller. Like I said, I think we'll cover more of this Germany stuff maybe in the in some thoughts at the, towards the end of the World Cup. But yeah, Germany are in a bit of a kind of, they're still half, they've got like a toe or two in the post-World Cup winning era. Mm. And they're not fully free from that yet. No, no, no. Spain feel like they're a little bit further along. There's yes, only, very there's much There's only so. really Busquets there still, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, yeah. so that is Group E, Japan and Spain. And can we just, one, once more, because people will probably still be talking about whether it went over the line or not. Japan finished top of the group. Top of the group. Top of a group that included Spain and Germany and Costa Rica. Just absolutely delighted for them. Absolutely I delighted am. for them. Yeah. Shout out to Moriasu as well, because to coach a team like that, to manage a team like that because two very tough first halves that he had to bring them out of mm. um, and to get your team with the right headspace to make the changes, to get your squad to buy into it, to get your squad to buy into a situation where they know they're going to get limited minutes, some of the attackers, but be decisive. We said a thousand times on Stadio, you're closing 11. Your starting 11 may not be the one that you expect to be the one that ends up winning the match. Also, massive shout out to Yoshida, who at this point is going to end up with a statue in every major <laughs> Japanese city. <laughs> and Southampton. Absolute, absolute legend. Absolute legend. Yeah. Yeah. Before we move on from this game, I just want to give a quick shout out to Stephanie Frapper, who became the first woman to officiate in a men's World Cup game. I mean, she's a very, very, very qualified referee and fully deserves to be there and did a great job, I thought. Yeah, yeah. In a chaotic game. I thought it's great. Yeah. yeah. I thought she's fantastic. I hope she does it again. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Japan are going to play Croatia in the next round. That is an excellent and matchup. And Spain will play Morocco, and we will talk about those two after the break. Wow, well, yes, we will. All right, man. Where to begin in Group F? Should we begin with Morocco? Because Morocco needed to win the game to go through. Yeah. And yep. they did. They beat Canada 2-1 to guarantee their place in the knockout stage. I think it's understated just how good a team this Morocco side is, not just the individuals, but the cohesion. And Canada as well. Canada as well, just like, you understandably deflated. Mm. Understandably deflated after putting in an outstanding first performance against Belgium and not getting the three points. And then the kind of having to regroup and go against a very, very canny streetwise Croatia you know when you go against Croatia you almost have to prepare for long periods where it's going to be slow and you're going to be pressing and just conserve energy Mm. and I think also maybe we didn't quite maybe rumours of Croatia's death were greatly exaggerated like that midfield is just so resilient with this they've taken they've swapped out obviously Rakitic for Kovacic Luka Modric seems to have five sets of lungs and three brains it's, it's, I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, occasionally, like, people have cats who are like 25. Right. And you're like, what? Like, that, and, I thought oh, it's like, jumped, on, jumped yeah. on a roof. It's yeah. climbing onto the, yeah. Why is that cat breakdancing? Why is the cat breakdancing? <laughs> 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 like, That's what Luka Modric is. Mo- Luka Modric is a 25 year old breakdancing cat. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's, it's genuinely incredible, the match control. Um, so, obviously, Canada reeling from that 
And of course, they walk into Morocco. And Morocco just had destiny behind them today. You mentioned it before, but that Belgium game was the one for Canada. It was. It, it just, was. If they win that, I think they go through because I just think it shapes their whole group phase. Yeah, and that's right. We said it before, but they deserve to beat Belgium. Roberto Martinez said after the game that they deserve to, to beat Belgium. I wonder if they didn't fully understand just quite how good they were. I wonder. Maybe. I wonder. I wonder because... Maybe they thought... Maybe they should have taken a leaf out of Moose Rock Conger's book. Maybe what, they needed ask, to think that they were horses. Don't ask Destiny for permission. I said no. it before. <laughs> you just can't. Um, but Morocco just came out and they... That is a team not, not asking Destiny twice. But I wouldn't want to play them. Yeah. Not at all. They're a side that seems to be able to hurt you in an instant. It's just one of those kind of like, you need to keep your footballing wits about you because if you, I mean, we saw it literally with the opening goal, slight mishap, straight on it, Ziyech scores, second one the same. Horrible, yeah. You just have to completely be on. And I know that sounds like a massive cliche, but they just seem to be able to hurt you in so many ways. And that's the thing about them playing Spain in the next round. All of a sudden I woke up after that game and they were like, oh, Spain had like 78% possession and 900 million passes and lost 1-0. I'm like, ah. And if anyone can do that to them, it's Morocco. You know, what's going to be interesting, Hakimi, because you know Jordi Alba is going to be starting that. It's going to be back to the basics. Jordi Alba against Hakimi, that is a crucial clash. And then you've got this front three, Bufal and Nisri and, uh, and Ziyech against that back line. That is not pleasant. That is not a pleasant proposition because those are three, those are three highly elusive individuals. Like if I was the Spain back four, I'd be thinking it'd be nice to know exactly who we have to mark. I don't know who's going to come. <laughs> you know, you do to me. Who's going to? You look at that. Who's going to come? Do you know? Do you know who's knocking on Luis Enrique's door right now, asking to go back into midfield? It's fucking that- Rodri. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, can I, <laughs> do you know what? I might. Just, I might see if Luis Enrique's on Twitch right now and just be like, "Sorry." Can Roger go back in midfield for the next game? <laughs> you say, you I'm say not joking, that, man. You say I'm that joking. joking. You say that joking. But I was looking at Iniesta in the stands, and I swear the great man put his shin pads on at one point. He was like, "Listen, yeah." But for one <laughs> sec, I also thought he was sat there with Gavi, and it was his son. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, but like Morocco against Spain. So before not, you move on from that, yeah, sure, can we sure. just can we just give? A quick mention to how nervous Iniesta looked. <laughs> he, looked he did, so, he did. He looked he so did. nervous. Because I think he thought, like, we could be in trouble here. Well, he remembers 2014. Yeah. When he was the one player that actually still balled out for Spain. The others kind of fell below the standards. He remembers it well. He knows how that stuff can collapse. But uh, Morocco, yeah, Canada get a goal back. Um, ball squeezing at the near post. Poor defensive. Uh, as a defensive error. But that was all the goals. And Morocco winning 2-1. And... Richly deserved. Richly deserved. Tough matchup for Spain. They won't be enjoying that. I mean... Not one bit. The knockouts are shaping up to look, to be, like, extremely entertaining. There isn't one so far that I've seen where I've thought, hmm, hmm. I mean, look, think, the first one is Netherlands, USA. It's tasty. Then we get Argentina, Australia. Then we get France, Poland. Then we get England, Senegal. Then we get Japan, Croatia. Then we get TBD. <laughs> and we get Morocco, Spain. And then we get another TBD. Those are matchups that I don't think that... See, I think Croatia prefer Spain. I think those, those teams prefer each other. The type of thing 
the type of threat that Japan poses, the kind of threat that Morocco poses, is more unorthodox. I would say, you know, what you're getting Croatia, Spain. You know, what you're getting. You know, you're getting a midfield battle, mm. right? That's it. You know, what you're getting. So you plan accordingly. Morocco, Japan. Poof. When are the subs going to arrive? When's the intensity going to explode? Because can you handle the uplifting pressure? And we'll get to this game as a segue. Uplifting pressure. We'll get to the geriatrico. Yes. Belgium. Crucial nil, Belgium nil. Wow, this game is a... I never thought I would see a tragedy greater than a Greek tragedy. But a Belgian tragedy must now enter the lexicon. This was truly... This was painful. I actually wish that Croatia had got the penalty. They were disallowed by the marginal offside. I wish they got the penalty. I wish Modric had scored it. I wish it had been 1-0 Croatia. And I wish that Lukaku had never had cause to have the second half that he had. This was, um, so just to recap, nil-nil obviously. Croatia have a penalty awarded um, for a foul by Carrasco. Gets pulled back for offside, VAR in the first half. Strange decision, but marginal, but we see it. Still, disallowed. Mm. So the penalty is never taken in the end. We get to the second half. Lukaku, who it must be said, acted by, all, by many accounts as the peacemaker in the dressing room argument between several Belgian players, very unhappy with the way things are going in the World Cup. Lukaku acting as a peacemaker, so he's already done his bit for the squad, comes on and misses three chances, I would say. Three clear chances. The headed chance looks, uh, yeah, it, it looks worse on repeated viewing. They kind of all do. Yeah, the head. They so, kind of yeah. The, the header, I think. Th- I think actually, sorry, sorry to cut in. I think both Go of them are finishes from a player who is half a step slow. That is absolutely right. Every even the initial foot movement yeah. on all of them. Yeah, it's the movement that you have, like, and I'm the first step. It's like a tennis player. Yeah, bad it's footwork. When, like yeah. this yeah. is this isn't a fully fit Romelu Lukaku. No, and we've talked. I think we've talked about this before about when you. When you come back from injury, it's like you spend a split second extra making the movements because you're not sharp enough to be automatic. And that's not a, yes. that's not a criticism. That's a playing your way back into fully to being fully match fit. Yes. All I saw tonight, maybe apart from the one, the one that hit the post was interesting because I think that that's just a spur of the moment. Two players are bearing down and you know, I need to get a shot away here. And he could be cute and kind of like, slightly dink it, curl it, and it goes in. But I think that a fully fit Romelu Lukaku maybe has an extra half a second. The one that he hits the like, post with. Yeah, the an first extra one. split second yep. because he's not thinking about his movement so much because he's not just got back from an injury. Mm. And I think the second and third, uh, the, the two, the, the one off the chest and the header, was it the header that, no, it was the one off the chest where it looked like, I think it was Lovren. The was, one on the chest that comes, the one on the chest comes, out, he sees it almost the last yeah, minute. Yeah, he's just like, oh God, because it looks like the defender is going to head that away. Yes, and it comes yeah. at the last minute. And the header, he goes over the bar. Again, he's slightly obscured by someone else. The problem is it's all three he together. Saved, he was saved by the ball going out of play on the header, wasn't he? Yeah, the problem is, I think, is that it's all three together, isn't it? Yeah. And it's his own reaction in terms of he knows what his level is. Mm. Does that make sense? And it, it, was, it was difficult. It was difficult to watch because he's someone who has had to fight at all stages, he went on loan, different clubs, made his career, got his, got his place at the top of the tree. And when he was at Inter, winning that Serie A title at the Euros, he was 
unimpeachable. At that mm-hmm. point, he could say, there are five number nines who choose to lead your line and I can argue that I'm one of them. At that point, like just post Euros, when he really, you know, your scoring gets Donnarumma like it's nothing from the penalty spot in the Euros and he's on a run like, you know, a really impressive one. Again, with all the stuff he's handling off the field as well with the racist booing and all the rest of it. And this was, this was a really painful thing to watch as a football fan, as a fan of his, because it's a very tough, it's going to be hard for him to come back from this. We see performances sometimes from players that we kind of know, we know they're going to cop a load of shit for. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I thought, I thought Shearer was pretty good with it on BBC actually. Oh, right. I didn't see that. What was he yeah, saying? Yeah, he was just, he was just, he didn't, he just, he just didn't dunk on him. He was quite just analytical and I think a little I bit. I think it's because little, he knows. Little, I think yeah, he, he knows. knows. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what the future holds for Romelu Lukaku. I think he's, I think he's going to have, it's going to be really interesting to see what his, I don't like using this word so much, but like legacy, if you know what I mean, as a, as a striker is, or what, how, how he's revered or how he's thought of in, you know, five, 10 years after retirement, because, you know, he's not, not getting any younger. He's not, no. he's not, he's not washed by any means. And I actually think that he has a skill set that means he, he can play deep into his thirties if he wants to. I just really want to see him regain, maintain that second season into form. I know. I wonder if it's almost like go off socials. Yeah. Minimal interviews. Just, just get, just get your people around you and really just like, be like, actually, this is a collective failure. The Belgium team, look, they were going to get cooked in the next round, I reckon. If they went through to the next round and they play against a, a Spain or a Morocco, I think they get dissected. Well, not Morocco, they wouldn't face them, but I think they get dissected. I think it happens. I don't think they, there was much more life in them. I think this was basically like the last, they get through this round, it's the last hurrah. So I think he has to look at it and be like, actually, yes, I missed these big chances. But let me step back and look at the Belgium team. It's a collective failure. It's a collective. Straight from the jump, Perisic has that moment seven seconds in. Like how Belgium have allowed that. Absolutely. And then Mertens has a chance early on. Uh, De Bruyne plays him through. And the finish is just like, is so bad. And actually, look, I think that the biggest damage done in this was very possibly, was the Kevin De Bruyne interview. I saw that and thought to myself, well, we're, too we're saying we're too old to win. <laughs> That's like wild because then, because you had Vertonghen coming out afterwards and for that to be mentioned in a post-match interview, because here's the thing, Eden Hazard talked about the rainbow armband and we criticised that, but that don't, I don't think that was disruptive within the dressing room, right? That's not a thing that it really, no one referred to that as a thing that really substantially affected the team spirit, which is, you know, obviously bothers me from a moral standpoint, but whatever. But the point is, in terms of that, it was genuinely disruptive. The De Bruyne interview was genuinely disruptive because you're basically putting a target on everyone. You're basically saying, come out and press us because we can't handle intensity. Mm. And of course, that's what teams did. Teams flew at them. You do not need a team that contains Canada, Morocco in particular. A group. Any invitation, a group, sorry. You do not need a group containing Canada, Morocco, any further incentive to come and press you because people think you're old. And that's what they did. Mm. And then, of course, you play against another team that's supposedly in brackets old, Croatia, who are the absolute masters of tempo. Of course, you're going to get cooked. Croatia know they need a nil-nil. That's all they need and go away with. Then they can handle you. And that's it. Strategic nil-nil draws. So yeah, Belgium have got a lot of thinking to do. Uh, the thing about the De Bruyne thing as well, it's just, I read that interview in The Guardian with Simon Hattonstone. And it's interesting because it's one of those interviews that like, obviously, 
is very stage managed. You have De Bruyne's management team is there, his family, his people. It's quite an intimidating setup. It's quite cleverly stage managed, but it's still, it's interesting how much De Bruyne manages to reveal. Mm. And a key thing to me was like, this man is not particularly enthused or excited by this World Cup campaign. He yeah. did not sound like a human being particularly excited to be at the tournament. Um, I'm not saying he mailed it and I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that the extra level of desire, you know, the Paul Pogba speech um, when he's like, this is ours and everyone mm-hmm. sort of sees it. It's like, my goodness, this Pogba's like the leader. That's not the energy that De Bruyne entered this tournament with. And that's what wins you the World Cup. You don't win a World Cup at 80% of your intensity. You just don't. Um, no. no, it takes, it, it, yeah. it's a real yeah. slog to win the World Cup. And Brutal. I think that that's why we've, we mentioned it, I think in the men's Euros as well, when talking about England, that it's like, rarely do teams come out of the block and just play unbelievable football and blow every single team away and go all the way to the final and win every game 4-0 and it's just, wow. A carnival. Yeah, I mean, that point, for example, against the USA is looking really good very smart for England right now in terms of progressing through the group. Yeah, It's really different tournament football in terms of thinking strategically. And I think that's why some people are way more suited to international management than club management. Yes. With Belgium, I think overall Roberto Martinez did a pretty good job. I don't think he did the most amazing job. I think he did a, a, a good job, you know? I think so. I think so it's a good opportunity for Belgium to rethink about where they're going to go. I think a few of that squad won't feature again under a new coach. I think it's a good opportunity to move on from a few of that squad. Yeah, I don't know, almost kind of like take the pressure off a little bit, I think. I think the pressure that was on them to be these this golden generation, I think was a little bit more than they needed. I think a little bit because they speak French as well. And everyone's looking at them and comparing them with France. They realise actually, they, don't, they forget that actually Belgium's quite a bit smaller than France. And actually like, they're kind of punching. Given their size, they're kind what of punching. It? 11, just over 11 and a half million. And all of that, like, I think it's a bit of that. I think honestly, it's the Francophone thing. It's a bit lazy. The comparisons are a bit lazy. They're not really that fair. And I think also the fact that like all those great players peaked at the same time, like, Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne aren't just like great Belgian players. They're generationally great players. Peak Eden Hazard now, of course, you know, of course the injuries, it's just slowed him to a point where it's just, it's unfair, it's brutal. But mm. Peak Eden Hazard's like one of the greatest dribblers the last 20 years. Just, it's astonishing. Yeah. Line-breaking defenders. Uh, Vincent Company, like, they, these are genuine... Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, we can we can pull out all of these amazing amazing Belgian players over the last decade. But when did they? None of them really converged at their peak. That's, that's my point. Thing. But it's yeah. even even if even if they have, but it's no, 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 it's sheer just chance. Kind of yeah. like double, of course. I'm, yeah. I'm doing you know, du- double down, double double, double doing. doing, double doing. Um, <laughs> absolutely uh, no. But so yeah, like bad luck Belgium, um, Morocco advance, Croatia advance. Two of the most streetwise teams left in the tournament. If we're going to call this a streetwise World Cup, because there are some smart, there are some, listen, there are some, whew, some high footballing IQs in that second round. For yeah, sure. for sure. Uh, should we leave it there today? Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's wrap. Um, ooh, another, another day of World Cup football in the book. Yes. Is that what they say on TV? I feel like, because we're going daily, almost daily at the moment, I feel no like uh, I'm like signing off of a broadcast. And that's day so and so of the World Cup, and we'll just, be 
don't don't forget to check the highlights later on on whatever terrestrial channel I'm plugging. <laughs> uh, but we will actually be back on Friday. Because American about. radio stations like WKTR, they've also got like four letters, don't they? You're listening W-K-T-R. to S-T-A-D-I-O, live every night <laughs> after the World Cup Games. <laughs> Let's get out of here. Let's do it. Uh, we hope everyone's safe and well and enjoying the football. And if you're not, then hopefully enjoying other things. Yes. We'll be back on Friday after the games. Don't forget to check the ringer.com forward slash soccer and our Stadio Outros players on Spotify. Speaking of which, felt feels apt, you know, because these are these exits are coming thick and fast at the moment. Playing out on Hampshire and Foat, a tune called End Song. Anything you want to add, Musok Wonga? Nothing further. Nothing further. All right, everyone, much love. We'll be back with you tomorrow. See you then.